A whodunit in outer space complete with radiation leaks and differing points of view? How does this sci-fi Rashomon hold up today? Let's find out. Welcome to Reengage, the weekly podcast where we watch and discuss episodes of Star Trek The Next Generation. Our cultural bridge officers dissect each episode, as well as the pop culture and world events that took place when it first aired. We're a bunch of Gen X adults returning to the series we loved as kids to see how it holds up. So, change your perspective, and let's re-engage. Welcome, one and all, to re-engage... <laughs> I'm, I was inspired by Jimmy's opening last week. It was a it was a nice little rundown. I was trying to chan- channel little Jimmy G. Speaking of Jimmy G, how are you doing, good friend? Well, I'm doing great. I just won Disco Fever on Tomb Blast, and I am <laughs> flying high off of that little accomplishment. Fuck yeah, you are. I'm glad we're here for that. Yeah. Eric Gratton, how are you today? I'm doing well. We were waiting for the first Rashomon reference. We got it three seconds in. I love it. Reminds me of my very favorite Simpsons joke in the, what, 40 years it's been on now, which was uh, Homer's complaining about art films and he's never liked one. And Marge goes, you liked Rashomon? And he goes, that's not the way I remember it. (laughs) (laughs) My favorite smell the fart joke they ever did makes me very happy. Let's get to it. Yes. Speaking of getting to it, I will get to Greg Tito. Hello, good sir. Hello. Very excited to really just feel like Riker's doing something wrong in this episode. Yeah. Yeah, right. We're going to dig in. It's it's an intriguing episode, a matter of perspective, as it were. So let's look at it. Uh, star date 43610.4, which had an air date of February 12th, 1990. Greg, what was happening in the world? Well, the day before this on February 11th was the massive upset in the heavyweight boxing world. Mike Tyson was the undisputed heavyweight champion in many, many respects. He had done so many wonderful things and a lot of really awful things. And this was <laughs> this was billed as him coming back after uh, some of those controversies. He fought Buster Douglas and lost in 10 rounds by knockout. It is widely regarded as the biggest upset, uh, or at least one of the biggest upsets in, in any sport uh, because... Douglas was, I think, 42 to 1, uh, the odds of winning, and he came through. And I was just reading up a little bit on this fight. Mike Tyson has, you know, famously just came out like slugging and, and, and would knock people out very quickly. That did not happen. I think he tried. Um, and uh, the fight ended up being like a 10 round fight. Uh, but the one interesting thing about here, which I did not know until I read this, singer Bobby Brown, everybody knows Bobby Brown, right? wrote in his autobiography that he had met with Tyson in Tokyo the night before, and they were partying all night long the night before the fight. In a, in a, in a moment of bravado, Tyson just didn't think that Douglas was going to be any type of a challenge for him, and then he ended up losing. And this pretty much signaled the end of his career. He was convicted on multiple charges, uh, I think, in 1991, and then was in jail for many years and never really quite came up to his, his level after this fight. And now he's selling weed gummies in the shape of ears now. So that's a thing that's happening. That so in case anyone that's yes. so in case anyone thought we forgot, we wow. did. We did. 
That's amazing. We'll get to that fight, uh, which is that is a reference to later on uh, in episodes here. But a little bit in happier news. Uh, also, the day before this aired on February 11th, 1990, Nelson Mandela was released from prison in South Africa after 27 years. Huge moment uh, here. If you remember, we mentioned how de Klerk was the prime minister uh, at the time, and he you know kind of campaigned under the promise of, of freeing Mandela and uh, working towards dismantling apartheid in that nation. I have really vivid memories of this whole kind of week because I was in the hospital getting my appendix removed. No way. <laughs> there were like three stations on the TV. So I saw the news and the news was all about Mike Tyson right up until it was not. And then it was all about uh, Nelson Mandela, of course. And then at night when all the TV stations went out, they brought in a VCR with like terrible movies. But the Nelson Mandela thing just it. I was in Kansas, a little white kid in Kansas, didn't know shit and was forced to sit there and watch news all day. I learned a ton, and I, that is where I kind of developed any sort of awareness or caring about modern history and current events. And then the final thing I just wanted to note, it was uh, February 12th, the first Rock for the Rainforest benefit concert was held in Beverly Hills at some rich guy's mansion. Sting, Bruce Springsteen, Herbie Hancock. Paul Simon, Don Henley, Bruce Hornsby were all in attendance, and then it went on to become a much more uh, annual event, raising millions of dollars to uh, support the rainforest. But we hadn't really been talking about this portion of the late 80s, early 90s, in which rock stars wanted to uh, change the world, uh, right? There was the whole, you know, Bob, Bob Geldof of, you know, Feed the World and, and Live Aid, um, of course. But yeah, that happened on, on February 12th, right when this was airing, perhaps they were watching Star Trek The Next Generation on the inside when the concert was going on outside. <laughs> well, thank you, Greg. Uh, let me tell you a little bit about what was happening in pop culture, in music, Opposites Attract by Paula Abdul with The Wild Pair. That surprised me. I, I always, you know, I know MC Scat Cat, but apparently that was The Wild Pair. Featuring MC Scat Cat. Featuring MC Scat Cat. <laughs> and of course, those iconic lyrics, I take two steps forward, I'll take two steps back. We come together because opposites attract. And you know, it ain't fiction, just a natural fact. We come together because opposites attract. Which is a fantastic song and a fantastic video. I'll stand by it. It's still a bop. It's still a bop. I still sing those exact phrasings right there. I'm like, two step forward, two step back. And I try to show it to my kids. And they're like, this is, yeah, this is. This, this is important. sad and weird. It is sad and strange. Why is there a cartoon dancing with Paula Abdul? It's a natural fact. <laughs> In the movie world, sort of a out of left field, Hard to Kill, starring Steven Seagal and Kelly LeBrock, uh, made it to the number one film this week. Uh, on television, The Death of the Incredible Hulk, which was the last of three made-for-television movies starring Bill Bixby and Lou Frigno, happened. And in terms of births, The Weeknd was birthed on this, <laughs> during this week. Before this, there was no such thing as a weekend. We just didn't, we didn't call it that. No weekends. This was written by Ed Zuckerman. This is his only Star Trek credit. He primarily wrote for like JAG, Law & Order, Law & Order UK, which I did not know existed, and Law & Order SVU. So this, uh, you know, makes uh, sense that this would be his episode. Directed by Cliff Bowl, who we know, of course, uh, directed 25 episodes of TNG 
uh, and then went on to work for Deep Space Nine and Voyager. Jimmy, tell us what was happening behind the scenes. Well, two things of note. After Data's criticism in the opening scene of Picard's painting, it is the very last time we ever see Picard take brush to canvas. So it, <laughs> it had a stinging and lasting effect on our captain, those harsh words. Uh, and... And near the once they figure out what's happening, you might remember they they refer to the alloy the the ship's hull made of as duranium. It's a, a very durable alloy, uh, and you might not know it's a refined version of unobtainium, cannon. <laughs> <laughs> but actually, duranium was a callback to a TOS episode, The Menagerie, and they bring they talk about duranium and how tough it is and why it's used to uh, build starship holes. Excellent. We'll talk about the painting later. And then perhaps we'll talk about uh, where Krieger were, uh, waves got their name as well. So we have some guest stars of note. Mr. Grattan, can you take us through those? Yeah, let's call it four of them. We'll start with Craig Richard Nelson as Crag. Terrific career, of course. All of these guest stars seem to have had terrific careers. He did a bunch of Robert Altman to start off his career about 10 years earlier than this. The one I'm continually flogging for everybody to track down is Robert Altman's film, A Wedding. Uh, Craig's great in that. He's recurring uh, on the fantastic and groundbreaking TV show, Square Pegs. Yes. So if you are not Gen X, it is your job to go home and find that fucking brilliant show. Wonderful and memorable as the villain in The Paper Chase. He was a shit heel, pr uh, privileged little kid. Fantastic. Guest stars galore, including one on Voyager, for he is beloved of the franchise. And then we get to Mark Margolis, who, as far as I am concerned, is guest star character actor royalty as Nell Apgar. The first time I really noticed him was Scarface. I think that's the case with many, many of us, where he played the shadow so badassly. I feel like he's been an old man, 100-pound badass for decades. The first season of Law & Order, if you remember, he's the guy who shot Paul Sorvino in that hotel room during the drug deal gone bust. The scene there will stick with me forever. He is uh, fidgety and he's not sure what's going on. And it just readily and steadily increases until he goes a little crazy and shoots Paul Sorvino and runs out. And that was just such a shock because he was the most famous person on the show. It was a fledgling show and wasn't getting all the ratings. And then suddenly they went to Mark Margolis to help us out. He, of course, is known to all of us as Hector Salamanca in the Breaking Saul universe. Yes. Antonio Napa in Oz. Dude has been a badass. Like I say, he is a Philly kid who moved to NYC to study with Stella Adler, no less. He's become a muse the last couple of decades for Darren Aronofsky. If you need any more of a pedigree for this man, he's in Pie, Requiem for a Dream, The Wrestler, Back Swan, Noah. He's done stage all over the country, of course. Then we get to Gina Hecht, who played his wife, Manua Apgar. She was Jeannie Da Vinci on Mork and Mindy, if you remember those first couple of seasons. That was her big break. Then, of course, she went from there to Night Freaking Shift. She's been a judge on General Hospital the last few bits. She's recurring as George's psychiatrist in the first couple seasons of Seinfeld. She's Puxma on Glee and is currently recurring on Dave on FX. If you haven't seen it, I... Highly recommend it. I enjoy it very much. Stage all over the place. Prisoner of Second Avenue with her old buddy, Jason Alexander. I particularly love her in this episode. And last, we go with Juliana Donald as Tana. 
And I hope we all recognize her from the bottom of our Gen X little hearts as Jenny, the waitress and moral center of the universe in the Muppets Take Manhattan, which was her very first film role a few years before this. Oh, wow. Debut and then went on to Purple Rose of Cairo. Uh, she has great genre cred with this little guest star followed by Voyager, X-Files, Babylon 5, Superboy, and is featured in the video game Star Trek Borg. That's the the guest stars for today. Fantastic. Thank you. You're welcome. Let's get down to this episode. We open uh, not in space, but in a painting class. And Jean-Luc is painting a naked lady. Oh, my goodness. And Data enters. And Data gives a breakdown of everyone's painting. Uh, and and sees great joy and and great work in everybody's painting, and then he gets to Picard's and proceeds to shit all over it, uh, which, as Jimmy has <laughs> shared, will end his painting career. <laughs> what do we think of uh, this interesting opening, this soft opening into the art world? It's kind of fun because it juxtaposes with a couple episodes ago when we see Data doing his creative pursuits and Picard being all in for it. You are so good at this. You are getting so much better. I'm amazed at the leaps and bounds that you've taken. And then Data goes a different direction with his constructive criticism. <laughs> I thought that too. I wondered if they had like pitched that in the writer's room or something like that, being like, okay, we got to get some some good, you know, cold opens. What if it's this? What if it's that? And then having them kind of be thematically linked. Uh, because it doesn't really have much bearing on the rest of the episode, you know? Mm, uh, I totally disagree. I think it's a absolute teaser for exactly what's coming. I agree with Jimmy. You do, because it's a matter of perspective. A different perspective of three different paintings, and then the episode is literally about different perspectives of one thing that happened. Um, it's like, it's almost on your, like a punch in the nose. It's so blunt. Yeah, stupid. Uh, it missed me. It missed me completely. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, it, 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 now that you pointed out, I'm like, oh yeah, duh. But <laughs> upon, I just thought like, man, why is Data being so mean to Picard? <laughs> But but the one thing I was going to mention about this also supports what you're saying, Jimmy, really well. And again, I don't know how I missed this, but that I just love that we never got to see Picard's painting. You know, so we are up to the interpretation that Data gives uh, for for his painting and how it's so bad. We do get to see the truth of the other two because we see those paintings at least, and we can make our own interpretations right. off of that. But. Uh, I, I love that we're left being like, is it that bad? I don't know. Do we trust Data? Is he the art <laughs> critic? Is he actually good at art criticism? Probably not. You know, so like, it goes into what you're saying about you have to figure out who you trust and how you believe and what is real. Mm. I think it was just a stick figure with big boobs. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's what it was. That tracks for Picard. <laughs> Well, we hear that from the captain's log that they have received an update on the Krieger waves. And we see Jordy, who's being very cagey about what happened down on the planet. He's sort of like, we're back. It's I don't want to talk about it. I'm sure that you'll hear more. Riker calls in and sounds very irritated when he calls to be transported. I assumed that Riker was pissed that he had to miss the naked ladies in the art class. (laughs) It seems very clear due to the timing that he's just irate that he missed that class. Of course. He's been trying to get out (laughs) all night. It's like, I can be back anytime. There's naked ladies. Really the catalyst for the whole situation. (laughs) Uh, Oh, cannon. And when they go to beam Riker up, there's a power drain, and then boom, 
goes the space station. <laughs> uh, well, we are unclear if uh, we have Riker or not. And then he is shocked to learn that, that where he was a moment ago is now no more. That was fun. I was totally surprised about the exploding space station. Right? Did not see that coming at all. So that was a little bit of excitement. It's like, ooh, where are we going? But then Riker ruined it a little bit for me when Cole Meany tells him it explodes and he turns back and looks at the <laughs> transporter pad. <laughs> <laughs> like that for like confirmation. I don't know what he was turning towards. Uh, and then he turns back toward the camera so he can see him. Maybe he thought there was like a flame. But it was an awesome explosion. Like totally got me by surprise. Had to pull it out of Colmini. He's like, he comes down the stairs and he's like, he's here. He made it. It's like, as opposed to what? And he goes, well, we weren't sure you made it back. Back from well, the space station. Well, why wouldn't I? Well, you see, there was a problem. Well, what was the problem? <laughs> well, there was an accident. What kind of accident? Everybody's gone. What do you mean everybody's gone? <laughs> and it just went on for hours. Oh, that's fantastic. I thought of you too, Jimmy, because that is a downward cross that, that Riker does when he finds that out. He just looks and he has to act for... Uh, about seven more seconds than anyone should conceivably ever be asked to act into a camera. That's a good point. I wonder if they told him, like, I'm sorry, dude. We need three seconds. I'm sorry. We got, you got to do something. Jimmy, do you have anything on, on Krieger waves? No, no. I'm excited to hear what you found. Ah, Krieger waves were named after David Krieger, who was the science advisor for the episode. And he recalls this being the first episode that he was actually brought into the room to help from sort of the beginning because they couldn't quite figure out how do we get the ship to be in mortal danger at the same time as uh, as Riker is in danger. But at the same point, we know that the holodeck can't create anything. Can't, can't hurt you. Quote unquote. So he's came up with the idea of the Krieger waves being able to to radiate uh, the way they did. And so he got them named after him. Good job, science nerd. Then we go to the credits. Great credits, by the way. Fantastic. So much better than any other credits. Right? I really, they really spoke to me this time. <laughs> we find out the doctor was the only one on board the station. We don't know why there was a power drain. And Riker is just looking sullen and disturbed and ill at ease. It's really well done, I think. Picard, you know, sort of presses him. He says it's a long story. And then the chief investigator of the planet shows up and he says, you probably ought to tell me that story. <clears throat> uh, so what do we think of these first moments? Do, do you think that, that that kind of there's an understanding that Worf in bringing him from the holodeck is going to take him the long way round? <laughs> Like, yes. <laughs> they're going to be on deck four. He's going to say, and here is where I, you know, really like to sit down and read books because <laughs> this. And he's just going all the way through the entire ship until they have given uh, Picard enough time to get debriefed. It's a great escalation, though, too, when the investigator finally does show up and says, you know, you're under arrest for, for murder. I need to take you into custody. And then you're like, oh, whoa. This the stakes were already high with the uh, space station exploding, and then you're like, but now one of our own is is yeah. in in the danger, and all and all the stuff that you mentioned, right, with Jordy's actions and Riker, how he behaves. I I'm suspect of Riker immediately. I'm like, oh shit, he did something he is not happy about. <laughs> oh wow, 
Well, because he even says something like, well, it can't be related or like, it can't be that, you know, which is not sus at all. (laughs) (laughs) What do we think of uh, the makeup of this alien race when we first see the chief investigator with his amazing hair, uh, sort of Grinchian hair, uh, like Erhuvian yeah that's what i thought of yeah. as well it's he very seemed cool. very laser focused and it was the the way the makeup was done the prosthetics and it didn't seem like a malapropism where they were just trying to like this race is very uh they're they're always legalese and it just came across as uh sharp-eyed and um by the book though mm. and i think that was sort of the makeup and the way the actor carried himself he was yeah. Uh, he never seemed, it, even when he was going at Riker, he never seemed personal. It was like he was almost robotic in his, I'm just going, uh, my job is to try and, and convict you. Like, and basically it comes up to later. It's like, well, on our planet, you're guilty until proven innocent. So right. uh, I'm just here to prove that you're guilty. <laughs> like the French. No, nothing personal. The French system. I, I love the makeup too, Kate. I, I, as I was thinking about it i was like man it's really not that different than the klingon you know look mm. but it just feels so completely different for some reason it gives a different emotional thing that does have the shrewdness it does have the like uh uh you know i don't know it just it's almost like clowning in a way or like uh masks in in mm. theater how the things that they choose to put on the face really does accentuate the emotional impact that it, it does almost on a visceral level yeah yeah i i tend to think that it's a hundred percent the same thing as clowning. As soon as they put anything on your face or restrict the movement of your body in any way, it becomes clowning. Uh, like in, when I played Shrek, I had a bunch of prosthetics, but nothing on my face necessarily. But it's still a mask because I can only move my body in certain ways because of the way the rest of the prosthetics affect. Like I can't turn my head. So like all of this stuff. It just helps. Like, honestly, having all of these problems with the prosthetics 40, 30 years ago, how they don't stick right and they don't do these things, it tells you what parts of your face you can't move. And then that tells you what character traits are going to be easiest to portray for you as an actor. It's really wonderful. Nice. And that's acting corner. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, Picard takes a chief inspector into the ready room. They're going to take him. Picard says they can't. And chief inspector says we will. And there's a lot of back and forth between those two. Uh, A lot of negotiation. This is like the worst improv scene ever, by the way. Like this is what we teach (laughs) in Improv 101 not to do, which is like just continually come up with problems or like knows for why it can't happen. But finally, we, we discover with Data that we have the holodeck. And we can indeed reconstruct everything. Well, finally, the holodeck can be used for good. (laughs) Yeah, it is a funny construction of just trying to figure out, like, what if we just did one more thing? What if, and I was actually a little bit surprised because he had backed himself into a corner that he was like, okay, this is acceptable. Seemed a little bit of a letdown. Like he he was, I'm going to have all this guff, but then like, oh, okay, cool. Let's do it. (laughs) <laughs> a holodeck you said oh i've always wanted to see one that's what i imagine his motivation was <laughs> we learn a little bit in this scene too that there's differences in the uh in the uh penal systems i said penal 
between these two uh, groups. And apparently it all comes down to Picard allowing this, which, uh, as the chief inspector points out, seems a little unfair. And it probably is, but it's good for our heroes. Then we move uh, back on to the bridge and Wesley's there. I got very excited. We haven't seen Wesley in a while. And Picard says, uh, basically, saddle up, everyone. It's time to go. Riker says, can I have a word? And Picard says, no. No, you may not. <laughs> yeah, that was awesome. He shuts him down. Yeah. The inappropriate door closes. And that pregnant <laughs> pause amongst all of the bridge crew looking at Riker and Riker right. like, you guys like me still, right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> Who's number one now? <laughs> they all are like, finally, Riker's, Riker's getting his comeuppance. <laughs> even Wesley. Even Wesley's not even like, oh, it's okay. <laughs> Sir, good dad, buddy. Dad, I mean, sir. <laughs> some some kid on the Enterprise is like, that's what you get for sleeping with my mom. <laughs> and Data gives a nice log entry that uh, fills in that time has passed and that a lot of fancy stuff happened off screen. Uh, so we don't have to watch them uh, programming the holodeck, which I thought was kind of them. But that, I also I noted that because I was like, why did they say 18 hours? I bet the time is going to become important at a later date and then promptly forgot about it. So uh -huh. it did its job. Yeah, it did. You know, they say, Riker, do you have anything to say? He says, I am not a murderer. And they say, noted. <laughs> then we move on to uh, loading Riker 1. And this is the first of the many different replays that we will see. And this is the one from Riker's point of view. So we find out that the doctor's pissed that they're so early. He feels pressured. The wife comes in and she uh, insists that they stay the night. Yeah, there's nothing subtle there. Yeah, nothing. nothing. I mean, she's like clutching at her uh, decolletage yeah. the whole time. She comes in running all sorts of hot. The doctor leaves. She says, my husband is smart, but he comes up short in other areas. Stop it. It's too on the nose. <clears throat> then they pause and say, wait a minute. You, you were, she, she invited you to stay. And we realize that things are going to not be quite as, as we think they are going to be. So let's take the, this in, in parts. Uh, let's take this very first section where we meet the doctor for the first time and his wife and his assistant. I think the whole setup where you use deep fakes to prove what did happen is a really interesting idea. <laughs> like you use fake videos to prove the truth. And I'm fascinated by it. Mm. Right, because you're not just interpreting the testimony of the one person. You're almost removing their emotional connection to the events that happened by doing that. And I don't know if that's necessarily more true or less true. Oh, it, yeah. It, every one of these seemed to me is like, this is uh, a terrible way of pursuing truth at all. <laughs> yeah. Me too. Agreed. You can sit on a, a bench and I can ask you to tell me what you thought happened. And that's one thing. But then to present it as this is life, like uh, for all of them, it, it, this one is probably the least offensive out of all of them. But still, like the way you you phrased it, your callback to it, Kate, um, and I didn't necessarily pick this up, is it's it's Riker's bias of how much she was flirting with him. Right. Like, right. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I honestly, when I watched it, I took it for granted that that was the truth. But right. now, like, well, that's there. This isn't unreasonable <laughs> to assume that Riker was inappropriate with 
somebody while on a, on a mission. Like we have seen that happen, so right. it's reasonable. And and taking this bit from Riker's point of view, which I agree it is, you just gotta assume that Riker kind of thinks every woman talks to him like this. <laughs> <laughs> right. like, he's not squeaky clean when it comes to his interactions, you know. And it's funny uh, watching this and assuming that that's just kind of how women talk to Riker in Riker's head. Right. Yeah. Right. This reminded me too, this entire episode reminded me of the X-Files episode in which that you see the events from Dana Scully's point of view and the same events from Fox Mulder's point of view. Right. And it's, it's very similar. And it's the same very disparate way of interpreting, you know, uh, uh, the attractiveness of each of them and what was happening and how it was flirtatious. And there it's played for comedy here. It's just played for like, where do, who do you believe? Right. And I just kept on being like, I don't believe any of this. Right. By the end, yeah. you know, one was more ridiculous than the previous right it got right. more outrageous but even this one was was i mean with the the foreknowledge of what we know about Riker, uh i i thought that it was like man i don't think anyone would pour it on so heavy for him in this way i know the the ruler of that one uh female's rule planet she was not very subtle about what she wanted to do with Riker. but that even felt more natural than like this is my sanctuary. Yes. We have, we yes. have hours true. alone. Yes. A thousand That's percent. True. A thousand. This entire, Absolutely. this entire, I mean, it's all suspect, right? But it's really suspect, right? Because <laughs> the, the sort of like, and this is how the door closes. Oops, did I close Sorry. the door? Oh, did I turn off the lights? Oh, no, I fell over. Let me kiss you, right? It's just so, you know melodramatic over the top the doctor comes in slaps his wife which of course is makes Riker look like the hero in that moment so that he can you know kind of swerve at the last minute doctor falls i will report you uh Riker says give it give me a bad report and then he leaves that's his whole story right leaves the guy with the wife he just knocked to the ground and goes to bed the fight, too, man. How many times did the fight is played completely differently for each one of these perspectives? Yeah. That's fun. Yeah. yeah. And his accusation, right? Uh, in this, it's it, he goes very much after the wife. Uh, I knew I would find you here with him. In the next, it's I knew I knew I would you would go after her. Like, you know, it's it's all just. Yeah, it's the whole premise of the show. It's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> but before we leave this retelling, the chief inspector says, didn't you wait? What about the phaser? And we find out that there was a phaser shot that came from the area around or, or near Riker. So what happens? OK, so then we go to hypothetical one, which is just the ending again, where Riker's like, anyway, I'm leaving. And then at the last minute, turns around, uh, shoots the beam and goes away. Uh, so that is our first inclination that Riker might be just the smallest bit fucked. And then he has to act again for a very long time after seeing this accusation without saying anything. He's like, oh, I don't know. But he doesn't even say that. On the bridge, Wes and Data and, and Jordy, the Fab Three, are trying <laughs> to figure out what has happening. And Wesley, you guys, is sure that it wasn't Riker. He is so sure that he 
gesticulates very clearly to let us know that it was definitely not Riker. I was distracted by by Wesley's emphatic thing. I kept watching him throughout this, this entire scene just be like, how is he going to choose to act? It did feel like he had not been in a few episodes and he was coming back. So maybe he yeah. had like spring break or something or, you know, whatever happens when you're a child actor and not on a few episodes. I also know from a previous thing, which I don't think we got to, but he did not like this director. Uh, uh, Cliff Bowl yeah. and Will Wheaton did not get along. And Cliff Bowl would basically like pull him and, you know, by the arm and just physically put him where he needed to be in the set and was very rude uh, in other ways. Yeah. And so is that from Will Wheaton's? That was from Will Wheaton's perspective. (laughs) From his perspective. Let's get the holodeck ready and spooled up on what really happened. (laughs) Kate, I was wondering, were you distracted by Will in this scene? Oh, because he looks so cute. To to, to my 12-year-old self, yes. (laughs) He had such a high waist. I thought he was a skinny version of Mr. Frog. (laughs) Takes a drive from Wind in the Willows. It's it's like the the line on his costume is like up by his nipples. He had a little growth spurt, you know. It was not fitting correctly anymore. <laughs> I think I think this is an interesting moment, this radiation moment, because and and reading the back uh, information on this episode, the fact that they felt the need to have the ship be in peril at this that it couldn't just be that Riker was in peril. It had to be that the ship was in peril. I feel like that's an interesting like. It's it's a little bit of a hat on top of a hat, maybe. I'm all about B stories, but in this one, this definitely felt. In I mean, they had to they had to name a wave after it just to make it make sense and make it work. Well, in that in your reading, was it that was the only reason they brought it in, or and it it wasn't because that's what eventually is going to lead Riker out of uh, out of danger? Like that's what well, proves his right, innocence. Right like, from. From my reading, it, it I sort of got the feeling that they were like, how are we going to put them in, in current peril at the same time as, as the past peril? And sort of came up with the, I might be reading it wrong, but that they came up and with- they just tacked, tacked it on? on? They sort of tacky on it. <laughs> what? <laughs> well, <laughs> you I did not. Well done. The duranium does not react well. Thank you for joining us tonight. (laughs) Good night, everyone. (laughs) My pants are wet. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah, I I agree with you, though, Kate. It does feel like not the right uh, way to escalate the stakes because they didn't have to do that for Measure of a Man. You know, they didn't have to do that for these other episodes that are about, you know, truth and justice and, you know, trying to figure things out. I feel like they could have just let it be on its own without having to endanger the ship. Back on the holodeck, the widow has arrived uh, and she knows that Riker did it. They run her simulation and interestingly, it starts, well, not interestingly, because she was there. It starts before Riker arrives where she's giving her husband a little bit of a pep talk and being the best wife ever. And she arrives to meet Riker after she's told her husband, oh, sweetie, you've just got to be more chill. You got to you gotta show him your personality. And so she comes out to rescue him when he's being dour. And Riker is all over her like just looking her up and down and this is where i think that she's probably not imagining it at least the first time right we've seen Riker; we know what he does Riker insists this time that that they have to stay and this is our first little bit of like that is a fundamental difference of what 
has happened. Right, because that's a, I mean, not necessarily a fact fact, but the fact that that where the invite was made and how it was discussed seems like something that wouldn't be up to interpretation necessarily. But we all know the sort of like, this is a lovely place you have. Do you live here? Oh, do you have guest rooms? Oh, we do have guest rooms. Oh, we're playing, staying on the planet. Oh, you're staying on the planet. Oh, and then you feel obligated. I get it. I get it. <laughs> I can't have people staying on the planet when I have a perfectly fine guest sanctuary. Room. Sanctuary. <laughs> <laughs> she brings him to his room uh, and he closes, he closes the door this time and then he just straight up harasses and assaults her. Will stops everything, says she is lying. Why are you doing this? Troy says, sit down, which is interesting, right? She doesn't back him up. She doesn't calm him down or say, we'll get, you know, just says, sit down. I like that Will Riker, like, tries to say, like, this is not my interpretation. Because I think if he had just let it continue to play out without an objection, that would have felt also false, right? So, right. I, I, I don't necessarily begrudge that he like, I, I, I like that he actually even just breaks the fourth wall a little bit and goes up and is in the simulation as he's trying to say like, no, this wasn't, this was not true. This is not how I believe it. I know. I, I, th- I thought that led credence more to him, uh, to, to his side of the story. Now we know how arguments go in the Tito household. <laughs> you just got to get up into the holodeck and interact with it and say no. In this reenactment, our our fight, we get to see some really good stunt guy punches. Riker suddenly, they padded this guy out so offensively to be like, I don't know if it was because of the fall or what, but like, it, it's very clear that it is a stunt guy delivering the punch to the old man. However, I do think... I do think it is the old man who falls. It though. is. That's what I didn't yeah, understand. It's is it's the old man fall. that falls? Just a terrific fall. Yeah. But then I thought maybe maybe I thought that Jonathan was having struggles with his um, hip, so then I felt bad. I love that this guy is Salamanca too. Like it all kind of yeah. like connected with me when when he said that, Eric, because I did not. I was not. I was like, I know this guy. Where do I know him from? That, that yeah, that bell. Yeah. That, yeah. The meanness that he has as as Salamanca kind of comes through a little bit here in this character too. I've only seen him a couple times play like nice people. <laughs> he plays like someone who will fuck you up without thinking twice about it. And he's great at it. This is neat because he's also kind of pathetic. You know, he, he's got such great ability. He pretty much never changes his delivery uh, rhythms. He never changes his voice, anything like that as an actor. But he plays so many different kinds of characters. It's terrific. And terrific uh, in all of these recreations. Yeah. Troy, after this one, they they send everybody away. And Troy says, I did not sense her lying, Uh, which is rough, right? Because like what she saw or what she remembers is not great. But Troy also doesn't sense that that Riker is lying either, right? There is definitely this um, failure to be on the same page, as it were. And I wish I could tell you that this is, uh, like, so outside the bounds of, like, this would never happen, but it's, like, so fucking true. And this is how harassment and assault, like, happens because... We don't we're not on the same page all the time and it's rough. And so this this like section of the episode was a bit of a rough watch for me. This one was hard, too, because I have 
wanted to believe uh, what women are saying about assault and things that happen, right? And then this is just another one that's, I, I actually I forget the writer, the writer probably was a man, I think. I don't think it was a woman, right? And so this, this is, uh, I, did you guys ever read Michael Crichton's Disclosure uh, or see the movie? Yeah. Where they try to make it this whole big thing about, well, what if sexual harassment was a woman harassing a man? Ah, And you're like, well, yes, those things can happen, but it feels like it's the wrong message to get across here in this world where it seems it is it is very much uh about people who have or had traumatic events you have to come to terms with that even if you may not you know as Riker does doesn't believe that he crossed any lines you have to believe the the people who are there and 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 the experiences they had like that was you know her point of view and it could be different because my instinct was if Troy says she's not lying and Riker's not lying and this is where I what you just said made me see something new because originally I felt like there's something broken in the script writing like they're just they're not taking a side somebody has to be telling a lie either somebody Riker punched him or he punched him like that's not interpretive that's not that's not the same as I felt there was a come on and someone saying it wasn't a come on either you punched someone or you didn't now, like what you're saying, it really hits in a different way. And I wish they would have picked a, a crewmate that we never saw before so that we could really give into this is really interpretation because we know Riker and he's a little bit of a rascal, but he's right. not a rapist. We want to believe because he's a character that is at the heart of TNG, right? Like it's it, so it, it's difficult to give into that side of yeah. an argument because the universe as written in TNG doesn't support yeah. that. And yet you hear from people who, you know, if, if of uh, people who have been convicted for, of doing awful things, uh, their family members and people right. who know them be like, but they were so great. I don't understand. And they're like, that's right. that not necessarily true. Like the fact that we know Riker and love Riker as a character right. doesn't necessarily mean. But characters are two dimensional, right? They only, they only exist as far as the, the actual written word given to their lives. So, it's not the same as a person who can really come across as a good guy and be a bad guy. They're only, they only have the depth that a writer mm -hmm. has given them. And he has not been given that. Well, in a situation like this too, the writer doesn't have the ability, in my opinion, to, to give real depth to these situations. Like they're telling a 40 minute story and they want to tell something that to them is interesting. So they think the reason they choose uh, yeah. something like this is because it's a little different than we're, what we're supposed to think. And we're not doing a passion here. These yeah. characters aren't always supposed to do the right thing and blah, blah, blah. But they so often never think about the fact that if everybody tries the quote, interesting thing, then everybody's reinforcing the same bullshit, which is, you know, that it is just as interesting when you write it like disclosure. Or it is just as possible that it happens that way when the, the science and the numbers all say it isn't. So like watching this, yeah, I'd probably still think, yeah, I, I think she's probably closer to the truth, especially when they don't reveal what that truth is. But it's also like it's why yeah. mass pop entertainment like this isn't up to the task of talking about issues like this with the kind of complexity that the four of us are right now. Real quick sidebar, not that that's not what we've been doing the whole time, but uh, one of the best 
theater productions I've ever seen, or most interesting, I should say, was a version of Oleana by David Mamet. And we can talk about how David Mamet is oftentimes a piece of shit and doesn't write women well. And that piece in and of itself has some problems with it. But it was in the round in Denver. uh, And about 20 minutes in, I realized that the stage was slowly rotating. So the entire time this this play is about a a professor and his student and a a misunderstanding or 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 an assault or, or, you know, it's it's about their point of view and who is right and who is wrong. But your perspective was actually consistently changing because it depended on who was facing you in that moment which I just thought was fascinating. And this is 40 minutes and couldn't do that. <laughs> That's exactly what I was going to say. Like, right, they, 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 they get up to it. And I don't think that they're just too caught up in the, it's different perspectives, get it? Instead of realizing about how much nuance needs to be uh, conveyed around, especially a woman and a man having these things go on. And I think in serious, like, pop uh, entertainment like this that really gets to everybody, like, you can't expect a show to be about everything however there are certain things that that are the responsibility of all artists in in storytelling and i think one of those things is to be aware of how broad sweeping changes with no necessarily reason behind them other than it's cool can end up reinforcing stereotypes rather than challenging them and i think too often directors of successful pop culture franchises or genres say it's just cool what's wrong with that and i'm like well what's wrong with that is if it's just cool and you haven't put any thought into why it's cool you might be reinforcing the shit that we're all trying to break down aliens back on the ship there is another radiation burst in sick bay they have to uh, evacuate sick bay real fast and then we go back into the holodeck and the assistant is there to give her account even though picard says this is hearsay the chief inspector says it is admissible on our planet, which is apparently okay. So stay away from that place, right? man. Especially if you got any weed. Because <laughs> hearsay will get your ass in jail. That was narc. Hearsay. They should come up with a better word. <laughs> it's all right there. You hear and you say it's what you heard. What someone said. You're right. You're right. It's so flimsy. <laughs> in this version, when the doctor walks in uh, to the sanctuary, the two of them are just hella making out, which is maybe also a little bit uh, close to the truth. Who knows, right? The doctor comes in, takes takes uh, takes Riker out like a boss, <laughs> like just <Nothing. laughs> exactly. That's really where the story starts <laughs> to fall apart. You're like, okay, you had me. Up until the old man is well, because that's him telling this late, telling the assistant. It's I like know. he's trying to, you know, oh, I beat the crap out of Riker. He went down in one punch. <laughs> right. That's where you got to go. Okay, hearsay. Well, she believed it because she saw Scarface. <laughs> like it, it made sense to her. So the doctor sends the assistant and his wife away for their safety, and then off she goes. Chief Inspector says we have motive, motive, method, and opportunity. Let's get this extradition going so we take a little break and troy and picard are trying to figure this shit out and they don't get very far right they sort of like oh man this sucks right yeah no i know right he didn't do it right no i know right but maybe shit right (laughs) troy's like "Eh." 
And then luckily Dana calls to put them out of their misery. Like that scene has no point other than to be like, oh, things are not looking good. It's kind of like the scene at the end of Great British Baking Show right before they announced the star baker and the person going home. They have to get together and talk about how they have no idea which one's going. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and then they announce who we all knew who was going to win anyway. Data calls and says, we have figured out where the pulse coming is coming from. It's a generator. We know how it exploded and who killed the doctor. Dun, dun, dun. Dot, dot, dot. In the holodeck, Picard lays it all out. We haven't seen what's happened, he said. We've seen all of these different versions, but we never saw what happened. <laughs> He's like, Data, you might not think I'm a painter, but watch my version of the Rainmaker. <laughs> <laughs> and then it's interesting because he takes pieces of each of their recollections, right? So let's take a little piece of here and what did we learn from this uh, recollection? And then what did we learn from this recollection? First, he says that the doctor was lying about there not being Krieger waves. There are. But the holodeck can't create anything dangerous. Don't worry, it didn't. It uh, just many times. It just did a thing that was scientific and now this is canon. Like, <laughs> I don't know. They explain it for a long time. It really <laughs> makes no sense. It makes no the sense. Like you can slit a throat with a butter knife if you really want to. So I mean it's some I mean, I think. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I don't know. That. The science is, is sound. And then he kind of goes out to I guess show that the wife was a bit of a gold digger. I don't know, that she wanted something more than this provincial life. <laughs> um, she, was, she was Belle somehow. Um the rewards they constantly and, talk about oh, you'll get everything that you've ever wanted we'll be able to reward you've you ever wanted yeah. right so then so then they come up and this is where i don't know where they came up with this idea other than that apparently it worked that he was trying to turn it into a weapon to give her that better life sell it sell it to somebody who would want this sort the of the ferengis the romulans also not based on facts based on conjecture this is what i'm saying right we believe couldn't there be like any emails like That's figure this stuff doing. out like can we check check Apgar's <laughs> right. emails lock him up <laughs> <laughs> you know the doctor turned on the field generator the pulse probably bounced into it and they say don't worry this pulse is coming let's see what happens I guess live, quote unquote. But again, we're just making shit up. So I don't somehow the next pulse successfully shows that it would have happened and we go all yellow and black. And what if the pulse so, so the pulse bounces into hit into the transporter beam, bounces then deflects off it back into the ship, and that's how it blows up. So this pulse would not have ever had the same signature as a phaser. Because if it does, we have 11 now. No. Oh. Turn it up to Krieger wave. <laughs> but I mean, this is one of those basic things when he was like, based on the trajectory, we know that it, the, the phaser beam would have hit. What about the, uh, the trace of the phaser beam? Just like with a bullet, you can, like, by the threads of it, you know what it is. They should have known immediately, well, it wasn't a phaser beam. It's something else right. bounced off and, and, and blew him up. Jimmy. I'll take the case. <laughs> <laughs> well, and 
And much like uh, early on when they're having the argument of we're going to take him to the planet. No, you're not. Uh-huh. 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 <laughs> and then he goes, you're right. We can totally do it here. Uh, the chief inspector, like the moment he sees that, it's like, all right, we're good. Thanks. Sorry about sorry. that. Sorry. My bad. Conjecture goes both ways, my friend. We were going to kill you because of it. We're going to let you go because of it. And that's how we work. And it was because <laughs> Picard did such a great job at performing it. That must be His it. pacing is great. The way they shot the reflection scenes, there was most of the time it seemed like video work, right? Where it was a perfect pause. But there was one time when Tina. she goes up the stairs and... Tatum in Picard says freeze, and it looked like that was live action because, yes. like, I it, it felt like I could see the actor stop, and it didn't have the same kind of stop as a video one. So, like, I, and I don't know if I was imagining that, but I'm getting some confirmation that indeed it seemed like they were doing both. That's fun. That makes me like the episode more. Yeah. Speaking of which, this is the end of the episode. What what do you think of this episode, Jimmy? Since you've just finished talking, talk some more. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I am going to give this episode six fake stops. <laughs> and, you know, actually, I'm going to give it, in retrospect, I'm going to give it seven and a half because of some of the things that you guys brought up tonight that I just, I didn't connect it to a modern take on this, which I think you really need to. You really need to have a modern take on who who's telling the truth. Because at, at first I was like, this is just patently ridiculous that they want me to believe that Riker. And I still don't believe his character would murder somebody. But I did not honestly evaluate. Well, his behavior suggests that this isn't out of the realm of possibility that he would be inappropriate at the very least. And, uh, and I wasn't looking at it from the way I should be from a modern perspective. And I think that is an important takeaway and it, and it elevates it because they were showing that uh, there are different perspectives and uh, it's not a lie. It's she truly saw it differently and she wasn't, forgetting re what really happened or choosing to ignore what happened. She just saw it differently. Um, and uh, that didn't land on me uh, when I watched it. And listening to you guys, I can see that now. So that that gives it a little bit more. So seven fake stops. <laughs> uh, still not one of my favorite. I love courtroom procedurals, truly. But I love it when we really get to see see the law in action and how it can be manipulated and overcome. And this one was just kind of, let's just play with it. I mean, like if Snodgrass has written this, we would have seen different yes. types of machinations happening with the law. And because there wasn't that, that kind of perspective, it was just real like, well, this is what we're going to do. We're going to say that you can just recall something. And that's a fact. Nice. <laughs> Greg. I'm going to give this one three and a half jelly roll hairdo things that mrs apgar is wearing <laughs> i'm surprised I, I, I don't think it 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 took this where it needed to go uh, i think in retrospect they should have abandoned the the whole science thing of the ship being in danger i don't think that was enough of a, a high enough stake i wanted it to be much more of a, a courtroom procedural i think they got caught up in this three perspectives thing but didn't try to so yeah under the under the modern lens that you're talking about jimmy i wish that they had um used the tools that they had they had all the the right storytelling tools to kind of say something a little bit more profound or or uh interesting about how we 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 need to interpret uh the stories that are told about events like this and trauma that happens to people and i don't think it really was effective in that way 
Um, I, I don't think it uh, showed that Riker was really innocent, right? Like he may have, he didn't murder this guy, I guess, but something happened and I don't know where in the spectrum it actually really occurred. And he's never really held accountable for that in any way. It's just like, Oh, okay. Well, he didn't kill him. Well, it's all right. You can, you might've assaulted this woman, but that's cool. You know, like he just comes to get a pass and not really. And uh, like I said, I think they got caught up in the science stuff. That doesn't really make any sense. I don't know what the machine, the Krieger waves. I don't understand why that would be doing that to the ship, even though it's a fake Krieger wave generator on the holodeck. None of that makes any sense to me. Uh, so that kind of fell apart. And I wish we learned more about Tana, the assistant, because I actually, that's one part I did like about it. That she was a really good red herring throughout this entire thing. I, I thought she killed uh, him ah. and I thought that was going to be the big reveal um, at the end. Uh, and so that at least was done effectively as far as a murder mystery goes. So I was like, Oh, they did the good thing of showing like, no, it could be someone else. But Overall, uh, I think this episode would have been written a lot differently if it was made now. And I honestly wish the, the Star Trek of today, the, I love the discoveries and the and the Brave New Worlds, but they don't do smaller stories like this. Everything's always about the end of the world and the universe and all life as we know it is hinging on the, the actions of the Star Trek crew. And I, I want more like this, investigating the truth of, of, of what humanity is right now and how, what is going through. And uh, I would love to see a more modern take on it. Eric. I will give it five pretty ineffectual ship's counselors. <laughs> more than this episode, more than anything so far, has really driven home how much less effective Counselor Troy's powers are in helping the day-to-day -day issues with the Enterprise than I remember them being as a child. She watched Riker go through his thing, and then she watched the wife go through her thing, and she literally could throw up her hands and go, I can't tell. And I'm like, that is extraordinarily limiting the effectiveness and efficacy of having a uh, empath on your damn bridge. Because you're going to take someone who can't really tell the difference between two drastically different interpretations on this and see who is, if anyone is coming at it uh, from a place of maliciousness, and you're going to meet a brand new alien race and tell if they're coming from a place of maliciousness. It's just not, it doesn't hold water and I'm done with it ah, next week. There it is. He's done with it. I'm going to give this uh, five Krieger waves <laughs> because whenever you point a Krieger wave at you, there's four Krieger waves pointing back at yourself. I don't know. I got nothing. <laughs> uh, I got nothing. But I like the concept, right? I like the whole idea of perspective. I like uh, the sort of <clears throat> a who done it uh, in space. Why not? Right? There were there was sort of um, something potentially Hitchcockian about this that they could have done very coolly uh, and and didn't. So th there were a lot of good ideas that just didn't quite mesh and never quite uh, resolved themselves in a way that was satisfactory for me. So I give it five for, for trying real hard, but negative five for not succeeding in what they tried real hard to do. So that is us for this episode. Join us next week when we will be back with yesterday's Enterprise. Mm. Oh, I can't wait for my pants to be more wet! <laughs> Hold on, did I give this episode a higher rating than you everywhere? Did. <laughs> I do not feel like myself.
We appreciate you for voyaging with us on this episode of Re-Engage. Next week, we are continuing on our mission with the next episode of the third season of Star Trek The Next Generation. Follow Re-Engage on Instagram and Twitter at ReEngageTNG to get updates when episodes are published. You can follow our various cultural bridge crew on all of the social medias. Kate Yeager is Yeagerlicious. Eric Gratton is at Eric Falls Down. Greg Tito is at Greg Tito on Twitter and at Greg underscore Tito on Instagram. Jimmy G is at the Jimmy G on Instagram. Reengage is edited by me, Greg Tito. Logo artwork by Mojo Jojo97. Theme music is by Ryan Marth. Thank you so much for listening. Stand by now as Dr. Beverly Crusher is ready 